So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Just four verses this evening, 55 through 58. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Again, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 55. This is the living and active word of our Lord. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your neighbor knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to open your word, the freedom that we have at this time and in this place to do just that. And uh, Father, we take it for granted in many ways, but truly we thank you for this opportunity. Father, as you know and we acknowledge before you, we can't understand as we should understand. We can't grow. We can't become who you'd have us to be even through this uh, small part of scripture that we'll be hearing this evening and and so father we look to you we who can't know that you can you can work and you do work through the lives of your own through the means of grace particularly the preaching and teaching of your word and so we ask now father that your spirit would be upon me as i bring forth your word that your spirit would be upon each one of us as we receive it as we hear it but as we also seek to be effectual doers of it so bless it to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, something that the passage we just read does and does well is to reveal what Christ's resurrection from the dead means for those who trust him as their Lord and Savior. Even in asking the two questions posed Two questions posed at the beginning, O death, where is your sting? And O Hades, or I like the translation better, O grave, where is your victory? How they reveal to us by way of implication that the fear of death is no longer something that Christians need to fear, since we all now have to look forward to, what we have to look forward to is everlasting life and peace spent in the presence of the one who has made us his own. So that's what we have before us this evening, the revealing words of 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 58, and we'll consider it under the three heads that are printed on the back of your bulletin this evening. The searching questions posed to our previous foes. Number two, the glorious praise given to our faithful God. And number three, the loving commands revealed to the elect children of God. Beginning then with verse 55, there we have the first of two questions, O death. Where is your sting? Now, obviously, death itself is not a person, even though it has often been personified throughout the ages as represented by the Grim Reaper, a mythical human-like creature dressed all in black with its face hidden with a drawn forward hood, carrying a large reaping tool known as a scythe and who is present, or so they say, just minutes or seconds before you take your last breath. Speaking which, of which, out of curiosity, I looked up the history of the Grim Reaper and found that it 
that during the Black Plague, which swept through Europe in the mid-1300s, that's when artists began to depict this, this creature, uh, uh, this horrific creature, inspired in part at least by the dark gowns that the, the doctors wore in those days. I mean, now that doctors wear white lab coats, right? In those days, they wore black gowns with hoods on them. And as you can imagine, they were the ones that typically brought the terrible news. Yes, your loved one has the black or has the plague and is about to die. But so even though the Grim Reaper is only a myth, and even though in reality physical death is that time when a person's soul leaves their body, after which their soul either enters into God's glorious presence or into the place of the damned where they await final judgment, let's still consider what death, if it were personified, might give as an answer to the question, where is your sting? And so might death answer by saying, I'll tell you where my sting is. It's in the absolute certainty that one day I'm going to come to you, and like it or not, you will be forced to leave everything behind, and I do mean everything that you have ever possessed or hope to possess on this earth. Your family, your friends, your church, those will all be gone the second that you take your last breath. Also, your house and all its furnishings, along with everything else that, materially speaking, you now enjoy, some of which you may really enjoy, that too will be taken away from you in an instant. Your favorite foods, your hobbies, your recreations that you love participating in, the books you like to read, the movies you like to watch, the games you like to play, the scenery you now appreciate, the fun time spent with those that have similar passions that you have, Again, they will all be taken away and no longer experienced by you the very second that I, death, step into your life and take you into my grasp. Not only that, but the music that soothes your soul, that makes you happy, that gives you pleasant feelings, I'm going to remove that too. Because your death, your death, your death ears will become deaf ears. The psalms, the hymns, the spiritual songs, even the ones that you've already sang this evening, they'll be gone from your lips, they'll be gone from your heart, they'll be gone altogether the instant that I, death, take over. Where is my sting, you ask? You ask me, death, where is your sting? I'll tell you where it is. It's in saying your last goodbye to the one or the loved ones that you have loved for your time here on earth. If it's your spouse, then my death, I'm sorry, then my sting comes from looking upon their face no more, from not being able to squeeze their warm hand or give or receive a loving hug or kiss from them ever again. Ask the widow. Ask the widower where my sting is. They'll tell you. Ask the fatherless or the motherless where my sting is. And again, ask the parent who saw their child come into my monstrous hands, and I have no doubt that they will tell you where my sting is. And in fact, it's very likely that even in their telling you that, there will be sting involved. Then too, ask some folks who have lost a beloved statesman, a leader, a boss, someone who in authority who treated them kindly and fairly even then to just have the next leader come in and turn things upside down in a bad way. Ask them where their sting is. Ask them where my sting is. I'm sure they'll let you know. What a silly question. Where is my sting? You know where it is. 
It's all around you. And the only thing that keeps you and most others from living without a constant sense of my sting is you pretend, you like to pretend that somehow, some way, I'm never coming for you. But I'll tell you what, as sure as taxes, I'm real and I'm coming for you and I'm likely coming for you at a time that you least expect it. So something fiendish and wicked like that is how I imagine death would answer that question regarding its sting probably with an evil scowl on its face with a voice that shrieks that would naturally speaking cause us to want to turn away, to plug our ears. Since none of those things are pleasant to think about to be sure and yet in some sense they're true, right? At least when it comes to the great divide that exists between this world and the next we will, as many of us already have, say goodbye to loved ones. And that has a finality to it that is far greater than if we were just to say goodbye to someone who's going away on vacation or what have you. And to be sure, all that death might say about its sting is null and void when it comes to those who are born again from above, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But now let's consider the other question posed in verse 55. O Hades, or grave, where is your sting? To which I would guess, I'm sorry, where is your victory? To which I would guess that the grave's answer would be something along these lines. You ask, where is my victory? I'll answer by asking you an even better question, a better question, where isn't my victory? Have you driven past a local cemetery lately? One of the multitude of cemeteries that are spread throughout the entire world. Just right here in Colorado Springs, not a very large city really, when you think about it, all the other cities in this country. Right here in this very city, I have 35 what might call active cemeteries, in which I continue to add numbers, to add to my numbers each and every week, if not every day. Where is my victory, you ask? Just the amount of bodies that have been buried, as it were, in the oceans and seas from early on in history to this present day should make it clear to you where my victory is. Not to mention the multitude of bodies that have, been, that have filled mass graves or the, the bodies that have decayed in cemeteries that no one even knows exist anymore except me. Here's another question for you. Where are all of your ancestors? Are they still walking around this earth like they once did? Nope. They're in the grave. The place of my victory. All those famous Bible characters you enjoy reading about and telling your children about, I'll tell you where they are. They're in the grave. All those great leaders of nations and organizations that history tells you about, they're in the grave. Just like all of those you refer to as the great saints of old. I have the victory over them as well. Where's my victory? I'll tell you where it is. See that person who spends hours upon hours making their body as healthy as possible, lifting weights, doing cardio, eating right, getting the proper amount of sleep. Just like all the others that sought to do the same thing with their bodies, ultimately, my grave has the victory. And then to see that other person who is so famous, that person who's in movies, that person that other people would like to be close to or say it's their friend. See that one with the huge fortune who spends money on all kinds of extravagant things without blinking an eye? How about that person with a wealth of talent? 
all of them, just like those with hardly any talent or no money or no fame. They're all eventually mine. And so once again, you ask such a ridiculous question. Where is my victory? <laughs> Try telling me that when I close my mouth around you. And one of these days I will know that for certain. That's where my victory is. So obviously that answer from the personified grave, just like the answer from the personified death, is imagined. And yet, I would guess that you can understand why I put it that way. Insofar as we experience things on this earth, death does seemingly have that sting, and the grave does seemingly have that victory, since no one avoids going there. This may sound a bit odd, but walking through a cemetery every so often is a good thing to do, good wake-up call. I know a pastor who did most of his counseling with people walking through a cemetery. Not a bad idea. Because you realize, you know, these huge things that are just, they're never going to end? No, they end. Sometimes we need that wake-up call. Life is temporary. As we read in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 4, one generation passes away and another generation comes. And that's as certain, says the writer of Ecclesiastes, as the sun rising and setting each day or as the wind blowing from this direction and that direction or all the rivers running into the sea. If you know that first part of Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes saying, do you get it? Do you see it all around you? Do you see this cycle that just keeps going? Do you stop it? No, you don't stop it, do you? And you won't stop one generation from passing away and another generation from coming. And not just in Ecclesiastes, but other places, God would have us to realize that. Well, now looking again at our passage for this evening, Paul follows up those two questions by reminding us that the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. In other words, going all the way back to before the fall, God gave Adam a command. You might say a law, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely, what? Die. Die. As in die in your relationship with me, your God. Die spiritually. Die in such a way that you won't have any desire to follow me, to what me in your life, to live any other way than you want to live, which is the way of the flesh. And along with that spiritual death, of course, you too will experience the corruption of your body, which will one day go to the grave and be tormented, tormented in hell. And so the command was given by God, and through continual obedience to that command, or again to that law given to Adam, there would be continual life while the consequence of disobedience would be death. And that same absolute principle has never changed. Sin, therefore, is, as we know, breaking God's law, His commands, in word, or in thought, or in deed. And the wages, or the result of that sin, was and always will be death. And who, therefore, who, therefore, could ever hope to avoid death based upon who they are, their own thoughts, words, and deeds, based upon their own performance when it comes to obeying God's law. Nobody. 
That's exactly why sting has, or I'm sorry, that's exactly why death has its sting and why the grave has its victory, which is the point that Paul is making in verses 55 and 56. But now look again at the glorious promise revealed in verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us, imagine that, sinners that we are, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ came into the world as the perfect God-man, and because he lived a perfectly righteous life, a sinless life, before willingly going to the cross and supernaturally bearing the weight of our sins, suffering and dying there in our place to satisfy the justice of God, and because Jesus Christ then rose from the grave, overcoming death and the grave, that could hold everyone else, but not him, because he never sinned. We, therefore, with Christ as our new Adam, as our new representative head, now have the same victory over the grave that he had. And, for whose obedience to God's moral law is found not in ourselves, but 100% in the one that we trust in Jesus Christ, death also has no more sting, no more victory for the grave, no more sting in death. You may have noticed I titled the sermon, Sin Requires Death. Christ died. Christ arose. And of course, the next sentence could be, and we too rise out of the grave and above the sting of death in him. Which is why we can honestly say with the Apostle Paul, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Death? Nope. The grave? Nope. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Death? Nope. The grave? Nope. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yea, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Familiar words, but what a gl- what, what glorious promise. And so unless Christ comes again first, these bodies of ours, everyone here this evening, they'll die. They'll all go to the grave. But our souls will immediately enter, the pre- enter into the presence of God, wherein we will live. We will what? We will live. We'll live. Are you alive tonight? Raise your hand if you're alive. Not really, but you're alive. And you'll just translate right into more living. And it'll be life like a bazillion times better than anything we know right now. Awaiting the resurrection of our bodies before entering into the realm of glory that eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things that have prepared for it. That's a glorious promise too, right? Try to imagine what heaven will be like. You look at our car, I, I sometimes get teased. I have a sparkly steering wheel cover. 
the kind that women usually put on. It's really sparkly. I put it on there. My wife didn't. People say, why did your wife put that on? Oh, I put it on. You know why? Because I think heaven's going to be sparkly. I think it's just going to be dazzling, and the sun hits it, and I think, oh, that's my steering wheel is kind of like heaven. Just as close as I can get, I guess. What about all those other things that death and the grave bragged about when it comes to the sting and the victory they proclaimed to possess? Well, first of all, we do not, as God's redeemed, ultimately lose our family. Since we have God as our father, we have Christ as our brother and our friend, as well as all our other brothers and sisters who have been adopted into the same family that we have been adopted into, all of whom we will share eternity with, including any biological family members that we have on this earth that also are redeemed in Christ. When it comes to our earthly possessions, I don't know, what's your favorite earthly possession? Oh, my, my lazy boy. What's your favorite earthly possession? What is that? What is that compared to the beautiful glories of the new heavens and the new earth? Everything there. Everything. It's like everything in glory while we await the final consummation of all things will cause us, I'm, I'm convinced, will cause us to quickly forget even the best thing here. Again, it just won't it, it just be like, what was that? And I'm sure we'll even think about it due to the loveliness where we will be. Again, most if not all of us enjoy music, right? Even as, even as all true believers love to sing God's praises, but can you imagine what the singing in heaven will be like? Along with all the angels of God singing with heavenly voices, I can tell you as one who can't sing very well, I, I get it. My family teases me. You, you, you lead worship? Yeah. And I do it like, we, they don't turn the mic off, so I do this. <laughs> I, I want people to enjoy the music. But could you imagine what that will be like with heavenly voices praising the Lord? On the other side of glory, we will never have to say goodbye. And that's, that's one of those things I'll tell you I'm especially glad about. I don't know why. I just, you know, you don't know why the Lord made you certain ways. I hate saying goodbye. Carol goes to the grocery store and I cry. No, I don't really do that. But, but I just, I hate saying goodbye. According to Revelation 21.4 in heaven, God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. For all those former things will have passed away. And then too, since glory is life everlasting, there will never be any bodies to bury, never any tombs to open or close, no need to focus on keeping our aging bodies and muscles healthy enough to walk or run or what have you. Just life, that's all. Just life evermore. Life as it was meant to be lived before the fall. A life lived constantly to the glory of God without any sin or consequences. And that's unbelievable, isn't it? I, I, I long for that day. Hope you do too. So again, as those that God has graciously seen fit to effectually call to himself by giving the gift of saving faith in the only true Savior, Jesus Christ, who has vanished death by dying in our place, who has opened the grave's mouth by rising out of it and thereby opening the grave for us, in the final day, how thankful we should be for that great salvation and for the assurance in knowing that though death and the grave will still try presently, they'll tr it'll try, as it were, to scare us, to tempt us to fear 
death and the grave, repeating the same type of things we heard earlier. We know because we have God's word of promise that in and through Christ, those are impotent words. Those are powerless words. They have no bearing on us. Then too, in speaking of our thankfulness and what it looks like in our lives on a practical level, God gives us a few words here to consider in that regard in verse 58, beginning with the word, therefore. In other words, because death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its victory, therefore, God commands us, be steadfast. Similar to, have, similar to how certain trees have a root system, that goes way down into the soil. You know, we had some strong winds. When was it? Last summer sometime. And there was trees blown down all over. But not the trees that the root, like there's those tap roots in some trees. It goes way down, right? The wind's not going to blow it over. As believers, that's what we are to have. Firmly rooted in what? Firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. Resting and believing in His saving work on our behalf, knowing that God's love to us does not waver because God sees us in His Son. Does God the Father's love for the Son waver? Never. Never. Not for one second. How does God see us? How does God deal with us? How does God love us? In His Son. Be rooted in that same place. We're almost done, but turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3. beginning at verse 12. <clears throat> Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is, still, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold to the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Well, it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And we are to be steadfast, steadfast, unwavering, deeply rooted in the faith, most especially faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ resting on his finished work. Similarly, back in our 1 Corinthians 15 passage, verse 58, we are commanded to be immovable, that is, Firmly persistent when it comes to our brief Christian life spent under the sun. Firmly persistent. Commenting on what it means to be immovable, Spurgeon said, Immortality, let that be your watchword. As you stand in your ranks while the shot is flying and the foe is advancing, when you are bidden not to advance but to stand still, having done all to stand, be this your reflection. Be this your reflection. You want to be immovable? Okay, reflect on this. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Immortality, Spurgeon said, shall make amends for all your pain and suffering here. Resurrection shall restore all you seem to lose in the fray. Keep perspective, right? Keep your eyes fixed upon Christ where you are already supernaturally seated with Him in the heavenly. And then finally, we're also told to be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. In other words, it's not purposeless. It's not without significance in the Lord. Knowing who we are in Christ, who we are as inheritors of everlasting life, having received such great salvation, where again, death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its victory. We're certainly not called to be slothful. 
Instead, we are to be striving, to be serving. As we keep close to our Savior with an undaunted trust in Him, with an earnest desire to do His will. By God's grace, as we reflect upon that great salvation, which gives us life both now and forever, may those things be what characterize each one of us from youngest to oldest, to His glory. Amen. Come again before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we do praise you for those, those profound words, those words that are worthy of our consideration, worthy of our attention, not just now, not just for a few minutes, but for us to continue in our consideration of your word. We ask, as we have asked many times before, that we would be good hearers, but also effectual doers of your word. Oftentimes we are forgetful hearers, and there is an enemy that would seek to distract us and get our minds a hundred other places. Father, we ask that we would think well about life, life in the here and now, life that has somewhat of an ending, but for believers really a beginning. So may we consider that. He cause us to be thankful, to be joyful for the, for the salvation and the everlasting life that is ours in Christ. We thank you, Father, for those blessed promises. Cause us to live in light of them as we should. In Jesus' name, amen.